let me tell you what I wish I'd known When I was young and dreamed of glory You have no control Who lives, who dies, who tells your story President Jefferson I give him this. His financial system is a work of genius. I couldn't undo it if I tried. And I've tried. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? President Madison. He took our country from bankruptcy to prosperity. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you tuned in. That was Who Tells Your Story, the closing number from the musical Hamilton, which is centered around the theme of our show today, this idea of who tells your story, who gets to tell your story, who is privileged to tell our stories, and is it okay when people who don't share our experiences try to tell those stories? We want to spend the hour today mulling over that question and talking with you about it. Uh, It's a question that a lot of people are asking these days. Recently, a firestorm really broke out after the publication of a book that was titled American Dirt. It's a story about a Mexican mother and son who flee to the United States to escape a drug lord. The book sold for seven figures. It made Oprah's book club and a Hollywood studio bought the film rights. But now the publishers had to cancel the book tour and issue an apology. And that's because the book about Mexican migrants and their plight is actually written by a white woman. And that fact has sparked a fierce debate about cultural appropriation, stereotyping, and whether the American publishing industry exploits the trauma of black and brown people for profit. In her own defense, American Dirt author Janine Cummins had this to say on Latino USA, a show that you hear on Saturdays and Wednesdays right here on WDET. No one becomes a writer to make money. No one's going to write a book about migrants thinking, this is my cash cow. I'm going to strike it rich with a book about migrants. That certainly was not my intention. The other thing I will say is this. When I write about trauma and grief, I am writing from my own lived experiences. And I am also aware that I never want to exploit anyone's trauma. Daniel Pena is a Mexican-American pushcart prize-winning writer and assistant professor of English at the University of Houston downtown. He has been vocal in his criticism of American Dirt. He spoke with Detroit Today senior producer Jake Neer about why he's offended by the book. Having lived and worked in Mexico for years, you know, there are so many Mexican journalists who have died trying to tell the truth. And I think to even undermine that truth, whether it be in fiction or whether it be through some kind of sort of propaganda, I think there's a lot of disservice that that book does, not only to sort of the way in which Americans view Mexico and maybe sort of these, the propaganda that, you know, maybe Trump or others have sort of created around Mexico, but these sort of mythologies that I think the the book really amplifies. And so for me, having that, I don't know, those mythologies or those those mistruths, those half-truths, not only sort of out there, but sort of amplified by Oprah or amplified by um, the New York machine, you know, it really does undermine the truths that those Mexican journalists have died trying to tell. The truth that is that, you know, the drug war as we know it in Mexico is largely a creation of Americans' desire for drugs, uh, American sort of 
profiting from arms sales to Mexico, but also America's involvement in Mexico via the like uh, the Merida Initiative and others. And one thing that I really tried to explore in my own novel, Bang, was this line, the lines between cartel, autodefensa, and the military are, are really blurry. And so it's a very complex uh, geopolitical and complex market situation. The short of it is that the drug war is sort of fueled by black markets and, and you know, consumptions uh, for American consumption or appetites for drugs, but you can't fight a market with a standing army. And I think one of these things that American Dirt sort of uh, doesn't necessarily speak directly toward that, but one of these things that it really sort of uh, speaks toward are uh, the mythologies around the drug war and the way it impacts um, Mexican lives on the ground. Um, in the way in which sort of there's a lot of sort of half truths that are sort of uh, perpetuated in that book. Yeah, expand on that a little bit. When it comes to the characters themselves in this book, they're fleeing a drug lord and uh, coming to the United States. Uh, what were some specific moments in their story that stood out to you that uh, felt either incomplete or stereotypical or or inaccurate? If you've studied the cartels at all, and I'm not saying it's, it's hard to talk about all of them in sort of a broad stroke umbrella because they're very different. Uh, even ideologically, they're very different. Um, but usually any kind of hit is going to be a very clean operation. You're not going to walk into a quinceanera like on the first pages and spray it. Of course, that happens. You sort of see these sort of the ways in which in the news that those are the things that become sensationalized. Uh, but most of these hits are very are very specific. Uh, if you have any, if anybody who's spent time in Mexico or has family in Mexico or knows anybody who's coming, you know, from Mexico to the United States, in any, you know, you, they wouldn't if she, if this protagonist who's a bookseller and has the means and she owns property in Mexico, it's pretty easy for that character to have gotten uh, a visa, a travel visa to visit the United States. So, for instance, you know, that character would not be taking the bestia. The bestia does not pass through Acapulco even. And so these are basic things that, you know, the book gets wrong. And it's it's designed to be sensationalist ultimately. It's, you know, it was uh, maybe Janine Cummins, but also the New York Publishing House is trying to figure out how can we sort of stack the zeitgeisty uh, things about Mexico into one, um, I don't know, narrative. Uh, but or it, it, there's not really organic. It feels very, if you spent any time in Mexico, it feels very synthetic. It feels... Uh, I would say synthetic at best, sort of an amplification of those mistruths at worst. I believe that uh, the the author of American Dirt said that she uh, had researched for years on these subjects. Is that is that hard for you to believe? Um, yeah, it is. I I'm sorry to say that it is. Um, I, I have no other thoughts on that other than um, if you spent any time in Mexico, it's just. Uh, that's not the Mexico I lived in. That's not the Mexico I recognized. And mind you, I've I've spent a lot of time in these hot zones that would be considered sort of hot zones, these cartel territory. I never once saw a quinceanera get shot up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? like, I just, uh, I don't doubt that that's been reported and it's, I'm sure it's happened in some place. Uh, but it's, that's extreme, you know. Mm. Do you think it matters who the book is for? That, you know, I think you, you said on Twitter that this is a book uh, from a white woman and it's meant for white eyes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, talk about how much in your mind audience matters uh, in these conversations. Yeah. You know, Janine Cummins has been out and 
and she said this in in the book. It's 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 in the it's in the book that she hoped to be a bridge. She hoped to sort of give voice to this sort of I think she called it a faceless brown mass. But you know, to this end, she 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 writes about wanting to write for you know toward empathy or to sort of create empathy. And it was a, I haven't come up with this concept, but it was someone who, very smart. I'm forgetting their name right now. Put out a piece in the, in the Atlantic not too long ago, a book review of American Dirt, and she asked the question: Empathy for who? Right? Because this book, at the end of the day, is not bailing those kids who are in cages out of those cages. They're not keeping families who were or who are going to be separated, who are separated, bringing them back together, right? So what is this book actually doing? Who is it written for? And to this end, you know, there's this, I think largely the way this book operates in the American fabric is in the white gaze is sort of like, it's, it's a way in which, you know, white people can bear witness to brown trauma without succumbing to kind of any danger to it. And to really not having to internalize the full gravity of what that means so that they can kind of live with themselves and move on, right? Um, and at worst, I think it perpetu- perpetuates some of the worst myths about Mexico, which is sort of like there's this old uh, sort of, you know, trope about Mexico. You can take it back before even Malcolm Lowry, you know, under the volcano, that idea of like, you know, uh, the barbarous Mexico or something like that. Um, but, you know, uh, largely the sort of, if there's any sort of, you know, uh, barbarity or there's any sort of like, you know, fallout of, of sort of, you know, things like the drug war. It's really by American consumption. And so it, at worst, it kind of takes the whole drug war out of context where it, it really doesn't own up to the onus of, of American involvement, American, uh, the, the roots of that drug war in Mexico. And in Bang, I, I refer to it a lot as America's drug war in Mexico. Um, the drug war before it was in Mexico was in many theaters before it was in Mexico. Before that, it was the Caribbean. I mean, it literally built Miami skyline. Before that, we obviously, you know, the Pablo Escobar in Colombia. Um, after Mexico, it'll bounce off to somewhere else. And so um, I think it really perpetuates a lot of myths, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of mistruths about Mexico. And I think the white gaze is receptive to that. Let's talk specifically about the broader issues of especially, especially fictional writing you know, authors write about characters who don't fit exactly their experience all the time. I mean, the, you know, uh, if you're writing a book about a family, you're writing about people of uh, different genders, different ages, uh, often coming from different places. Uh, if you want a book that is uh, diverse in its characters, an author needs to write from a number of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Do you think that what what exactly separates that from... From from this, uh, do you think that authors can have enough empathy or understanding uh, for people who have experiences other than their own uh, to do something like this in in a, an effective way that doesn't create harm? Mm-hmm. I think that question, um, and not, not to, to to badger the question, um, but I think it has a few assumptions in it, which is that this was that there's any kind of intent on sort of um, uh, the Mexican-American or maybe even Latinx community to, pe- to police the imagination. And I, don't, I don't think that's the conversation, but I think that's the way in which the conversation has drifted. Hmm. Uh, what I do think the fact of this is, is that this was a bald-faced money grab. We know Janine Cummins got seven figures for this book deal. Uh, we also know that, um, you know, Flatiron is, the, the press, it's under Macmillan, is heavily invested in 
recouping this money. And so you really see sort of the panels of the machine falling off and seeing how uh, behind the scenery, how this is really, they're going to will this book to success. And, you know, there was a writer by the name of Natalia Silvestre who said, you know, if the publishing industry put half as much energy into books by people of color, into telling those truths, the real stories, the people who have done the research, who have, who have, who have lived in Mexico, who have done this work, who have in some cases, risk their lives trying to find, you know, the real story, whether it be in, in uh, journalism or fiction. You know, if it's been half the resources uh, that it is in those books as it is in preserving a kind of mythology, and it really it's a kind of white supremacist mythology uh, of, 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 of these books that, you know, you can sort of uh, bear witness to anything and tell any, anybody's story. You know, we would have – it would be a radically different American canon. And so the reason I call it sort of like a white supremacist ideology, because, you know, I think, I mean, New York is, is it, it's the, the metric has come out, you know, overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly sort of, you know, you, you can trace a lot of the editors back to the same nine or 10 schools. At best, it's hyper, it's hyper uh, provincial, if you could even argue. Uh, but to this end, you know, um, and this is not to say that, you know, people who are working publishing are, are necessarily bad people, or, 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 but I, I think they have a lot of blind spots, and by nature, the, the cumulative effect of it is kind of like a, it, can, it can be sort of white supremacist in a way, or it can take on the tropes of white supremacy. But this is all to speak, to speak toward a larger point, which is sort of like, you know, this idea of policing imagination. Uh, I really want to redirect the conversation to sort of this idea that this book they were always going to try to recoup those sales. And my worry, actually, and for what it's worth, you know, I don't think Janine Cummins is a bad person. I don't think Janine Cummins is, um, I think she can be short-sighted at best. I think, you know, um, I, don't, I don't consider her evil or anything. But what I do fear and what I do get scared of is the fact that her life will never be the same again, but Flatiron will still get their money. Hmm. And that's the story of American Dirt. Uh, I, I'm curious, though, as a, as a writer yourself, uh, what is responsible writing when you are writing about people who don't fit into your own lived experience? I can only speak to the way in which I write, which is anytime I sit down at the page with my characters, I'm always rooted in the, the dignity of those characters. And I think the moment you lose track of that dignity, the moment they become puppets, and puppets operating in half-truths, puppets operating in uh, not even a reality of their sort of um, an inorganic fab fabric, I might call it. Um, I think that's when you lose humanity, when you're not in touch with the dignity of those characters. Uh, and part of that dignity is, is doing the research and doing the sort of due diligence of, you know, what is the social fabric and what is the sort of historical precedent that have led these characters into being, Right. Every, every one of us is sort of a product of our history, uh, whether it be sort of our familial history or sort of geopolitical circumstance. And I think when you have characters who are not rooted in that fundamental dignity, uh, and as a writer you don't know those characters, um, and they become a means to an end to, say, making money, uh, a seven-figure book deal or whatever it is, I think that's when you get into sort of really dicey territory. Daniel Pena, I really appreciate you uh, joining us here on Detroit Today. Cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys. That was Mexican-American Pushcart Prize-winning writer and assistant professor of English at the University of Houston downtown, Daniel Pena, talking with Detroit Today senior producer Jake Neer. 
Up next, we are going to continue this conversation with a Detroiter who has spent years working with people to empower them to tell their own story. Satori Shakur of WDET's Twisted Storytellers podcast is going to join us, and we want to take your calls. Do you think authors should write books about people or groups who don't share their own lived experiences? When is that okay? When is it not? We want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking about stories and who tells stories, how we tell stories about ourselves, and when it's okay for someone who doesn't share our experiences, doesn't share our worldview, to tell our stories. We just heard earlier about the controversy around the book American Dirt, which is the story of a migrant family from Mexico coming to the United States to escape violence. People are upset about that book, not because of its content necessarily, but because of who wrote it. It was a white woman who does not share the experiences of migrants here in America. Is that okay, though? Is that just part of the way that we tell stories about ourselves and each other? Or is it crossing the line? Is it appropriation or stereotyping? We really want to hear from you. Do you think it's okay for people to write stories, whether they're fictional or or non-fictional, about people or characters who belong to groups other than their own. Can you think of examples of books, films, or art that made you think about this question or made you uncomfortable because of the author's distance from the subject matter that they were writing about? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk about this subject is somebody who knows more about storytelling than almost anyone I know. Satori Shakur is the host of WDET's Twisted Storytellers podcast. She has spent years helping other people figure out how to tell their story. Satori, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. Good morning, Stephen. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. So let's start with this. Uh, what are your general thoughts about this controversy around American dirt and whether it's okay for a white woman to write fictional stories about Mexican immigrants? Well, I, you know, I'm all about one telling their own story mm -hmm. because you have access to the whole world of that story, your feelings, your thought, your perspective, your everything. Um, but having said that, um, I, ha I have a friend, Sarah Bird. She's an author, lives in Austin, Texas. She called me a few years ago and asked me what did I think. She wanted to write a book about Kathy Williams, um, first uh, female to join the U.S military, mm -hmm. one of the Buffalo soldiers, female mm -hmm. Buffalo soldiers. And what did I think about her writing Kathy's voice? 
And the fact that she called me and had the concern, I, and I know her as an author. She's done 10 books. She was doing the Meryl Streep, Oprah Winfrey screenwriting. Her, the sensitivities, I said, well, who else is writing about female <laughs> buffalo soldiers, black female buffalo soldiers? And, um, and I said, well, I think it's okay because at the same time, I've writ- I have a, a short story where I use the voice of a, uh, an Irish ex-nun, Fiona Barclay. I use her, um, not that I know her world or anything about being a nun, but I wanted to use that character to highlight or be a backdrop for the for the politics and the issues I was bringing out in the main story. So I, I don't, I'm not here to say whether it's okay or not okay. I think there's freedom of speech. And I think that when you do co-op, like when American Dirt came out, then mm-hmm. other people can come in and say their thoughts. It brings it up. I remember when The Help came out mm-hmm. and uh, there was a big controversy about, oh, she's writing. But, and of course, um, because a white because a white woman wrote the help Uh, but when i went to see the film uh there were some older black women who were the help my mother was the help and they came and we and we stood out inside the theater for like 30 35 minutes the women just pouring out their stories and so i think it stimulated those women and acknowledge those women who have been on their knees scrubbing floors and nobody thinks about them they've been invisible so who is going to write the help? Because Viola Davis said, I'm never going to play a maid again. And so maids are human beings with politics, lives, activists, and we don't even know about them. So sometimes I think that it's healthy for white people with mm-hmm. white privilege mm-hmm. to use their privilege to, to bring forth stories that, that systemically we, wouldn't, we are suppressed. Mm. So if you if you have a sensitivity, if you have um, a good heart and you have consulted a bunch of people about the story and checked it out, um, I think those kinds of um, checks and balances are good. But 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 sometimes we don't have that kind of power or that access to bring out these stories. But once they're out there, then we can. Have the talking heads it on opens TV? The door, sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I I really feel like this is a question about line drawing, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 not that there is one thing that's okay and another that's not. It's it's that how it happens or how it's done mm-hmm. really matters. Mm-hmm. And I think you put it perfectly that that sometimes it makes a lot of sense for someone who's outside of a community but maybe uh, has a view of that, uh, an upfront view of that community to write a story about it. Uh, but there's a respectful way to do that. There's a way to not appropriate uh, that group that you're not a part of by doing that. And, and I think the, the, the worst examples, of course, cross that line. Um, but there, there are lots of examples where people are, are doing it much better. Yes. And sometimes we don't even know that they're doing it. <laughs> And we celebrate the novel, and then we find out, oh, they were, and then we get we get um, we get upset. But I, I, we all know in, in our different groups, whatever mm-hmm. that group is, we know when that voice isn't ringing th- true. What? Yeah, you know, we it's it's clear. It's that instant almost. It, right? Yes, yes, we know that that's not that experience is stereotypical, or it's some some point of view that's not it's not accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jenny on Twitter has a really interesting 
comment. She says, the same publishers or agents who routinely claim they don't know how to position Latin, Latinx uh, authors in the market went all in on a seven-figure bidding war when the story was written by a self-identified white woman. She's talking about American Dirt. That's what, many of, that's what makes many of us mad. It's worth noting the person who acquired this book is responsible for acquiring the help as well. This is not a border Latinx issue. The lack of diversity and stringent gatekeeping is well-documented and no secret. The mainstream media has reduced the conversation to who has the right to write when the real question is who gets a seat at the table. I think that's a really interesting yes. insight. And, yeah. it, and it really reflects some of mm-hmm. what you're saying, that, mm-hmm. that we still have these barriers uh, that, that are erected in front of people of color to be able to tell great stories. And that really is the issue that we, we ought to be confronting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't know you could say that many words on Twitter. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a couple of tweets together, okay. right? <laughs> uh, let's go to the phones. We got a lot of folks who uh, who want to participate in this conversation. Let's start with Maureen and Anna. Up, oh, we lost Maureen there. Uh, let's go to Supit in Novi. Supit, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, hi. Hey. Thanks for taking my call. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I mean, I thought uh, it's really great to see. A person who does not belong to a certain group uh, can understand the pain and take an effort to kind of understand the culture and all the pain a certain group may have to go through. Uh, I think it is really good to see this uh, as long as it is not, um, there is no deceit inside it. I I mean, the author is not trying to hide who uh, really she is. And and the the book, I have not personally read the book, but book is uh, relatively close to um the the overall picture uh in mexico for example so mm-hmm. i think it's really nice i mean we really need this kind of um uh books or culture literature where um a group i mean it, the information is getting passed on between different cultures mm-hmm. if uh, a mexican writes a book about mexican it is really great but if somebody else writes a book or that, that is, I think, it goes beyond a step further. And at this t- particular time, we need actually this kind of books or literature. Hmm. That's what I, I feel. Yeah, stupid. I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Uh, Satori, we, we should share with lit- listeners some of the experiences you have working with people to tell their own stories and getting them to see the power of telling those stories. I think that's one of the really important dimensions of of your work. It's not just getting people to do it, but to recognize that there's real power in being able to tell your own story. Yeah, it, it, because everyone's story is their lived experience, and every lived experience has profound wisdom in it. And it crosses and it uh, breaks down barriers because if you're able to truthfully put forth your experience, it challenges stereotypes that are out there. You have to go, wait a minute. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I had, um, a, I had a, a, one of the greatest experiences of my life working with the Latinx show, Detroit Rebellion Latinx, working with uh, those storytellers who are Latin and black Latin and Detroit and being invisible because when they leave Southwest Detroit, mm-hmm. they look black. They look, they can fit into the black community. And oftentimes they, they stay 
sort of hidden. But in this sense, they be, they came out. And no, I'm Puerto Rican and black. My 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 mother's from Mississippi. My father's from Puerto Rico, and mm. all of the cultural. The food, the dress, the the point of view—it's it, it's very very rich, and so I I think it's I think to, to take ownership of your own voice, your own experience, and be able to share that in a powerful way, and be unafraid uh, to challenge what's out there in terms of how other people present us um, is uh, rewarding. And it's, nece- it's, it's necessary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, your most recent season of Twisted Storytellers features stories told by immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, what struck you about their stories and how they fit into this larger narrative about immigration in the United States and even this controversy over this book, American Dirt? It, it, there's a lot of story. the stories are about identity. So you're, you're someone... In your country, maybe you're an Egyptian like Muhammad, Muhammad El Sharkarwi. He's telling a story on our next show and uh, the dating game. Mm-hmm. And he was dating a Palestinian German woman who was very tribal. He, he was Egyptian and more progressive and the culture clash there. Um, and then coming to America and and you and you're stereotyped as a cab driver or or a terrorist or whatever whatever like that. So to be able to tell your story, get the human, to, to access the humanity from that story, we, we become more alike than, than different. But I think highlighting our differences and our cultural differences and our language and foods and point of views is rich. And we should engage so that we can expand ourselves um, because we're shrinking, 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 becoming intolerant uh, and afraid. Mm -hmm. So when we tell our own stories and and we can cry and laugh and relate, it breaks down that the barriers, those fears that, that we have of the other person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us if you think it's okay for people to write stories, whether they're fictional or non-fictional, about people or characters who belong to groups other than their own. What is the value of shared experience when we're trying to tell someone else's story? And how powerful is it for us to be able to tell our own stories. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and leave comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We've got some other really interesting Twitter comments I want to share. Uh, We got a tweet from Dr. Debbie Reese, who is the founder of American Indians in Children's Literature, somebody who writes and talks about issues of representation in literature a lot of the time. She writes, with respect to representation of Native peoples in children's books, we're thought of as a, quote, culture. We do have cultures. Plural is intentional. But more central is our status as hundreds of unique sovereign nations who were nations before the United States was a nation. Really interesting perspective there. Frank on Twitter says, as a Metro Detroit-based LGBTQ author, why must I always write a, quote, gay story? I'm a writer. I use my talent to imagine the lives of my characters, be them gay, straight, bi, or beyond. Todd on Twitter says, fiction is a story from the perspective of the writer and experienced by the reader. How to draw a line or create a rule indicating authors must live that experience removes the creative creativity 
from the process. The only credible biography then is an autobiography. Uh, Todd, thank you very much uh, for, for, for that thought. Let's go to Renee in Detroit. Renee, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, yeah. good morning. Can you hear me okay? Uh-huh. Good morning. I love your show, Stephen. I just want to say that. Well, thank Listen, you. Listen, um, I was wondering to put in another question to the um, – and that is, are we saying who can tell a story or who can profit from a story? Because I think those are two different things, and I think that's kind of where the discussion is, is – uh, maybe leading from with the American dirt because you know they're introducing how much the the author was um, how much the author was given or how much this contract was given and then the book rights and it was it became like colonialism all over again like wait a minute not only is she telling our story but she's profiting from a story that um, that the 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 Mexican American community could not would not receive that same type of of contract or or lucrative um, Hollywood deals mm-hmm. so I was wondering that because. Because anyone really can tell a story, or even to your guest, um, her, her introductory um, uh, points, I agreed with so, so much that anyone can like position you um, even to tell a story, or at least position a story to be told. But, you, but when you begin profiting from a story, mm-hmm. that, that, that changes the discussion entirely, I, I believe. I mean, had the author of American Dirt say that these proceeds were going to go to, um, to the border and help um, these, uh, um, those um, detainees or the, the, um, the immigrants who were being held, then I think that would have changed the, opened up an entirely new discussion and the book mm. would have been welcomed with open arms. Mm. The other last point I want to make is that there's a series right now on Netflix um, detailing um, the, the same question about African Americans in Hollywood about who when they need us, and it's about mm-hmm. um, just positions that um, well, that we find ourselves in as African Americans being in the entertainment industry, and 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 how in the introduction um, we were we had to take these roles of someone else telling our stories, and right. now we are at the beginning, or maybe a little bit more into the beginning of telling, uh, being able to tell and write and, and produce our own stories mm-hmm. and having those air in the entertainment industry. So, and I'll take my comments. So, on, Renee, on before, before, no. you, before you go, sure. what was the name of that Netflix series? Oh, and you'll see, and I, when I heard the discussion on the tour today, I got, thought you guys wanted to discuss that as well. Oh. It's, it's called um, When They Need Us or Now They Need Us. Okay. And it's, um, it's, it's very new. I, mm, I'm, um, I heard it discussed out. on NPR just prior to your show coming oh. on, on, on the Marketplace Report. Okay. But yeah, that's where I heard it. Yeah, no, Something I'll, along those lines. I'll have to check that out, and maybe some of our listeners will, too. I, have, I had not... I had not heard about that, but that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting take on this whole, this whole uh, issue. Uh, Satori, before we get to more listeners, um, I want to talk about how important this subject here is in Detroit. We're a community that has long felt like people come from the outside and try to tell our story. That happens now. People get really upset, and a lot of times people get it wrong, uh, and they perpetuate really bad stereotypes about who we are, um, the, again, it's, it's about lines, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, can, you, can you tell Detroit's story if you are not a Detroiter? Um, I don't think you can really tell the nit and the grit. You can't. I mean, I, I don't, somebody said it was way smarter than me. Write what you know. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, so. That is the first rule of writing, right? Mm-hmm. Write what you know. Yeah, because you don't really know what's going on in in the neighborhood. You don't know what the neighbors are saying. You don't know, um, and so to all you have is access to looking from the outside and 
and maybe interviewing a couple of people, but to live it every day, to, to feel it every day, to know who you are every day, and then someone misrepresented, it's, 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 um, it, it makes you angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and especially when they present uh, it's so violent, you're violent and it's a terrible. Or, um, or Detroit, the beautification, the, the comeback of Detroit, and the, gen- the you know, the downtown is so wonderful. And then, but you leave out these other stories. And I'm so glad for activists who will not let the Flint story die. <laughs> right. I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, the Netflix series that I believe Renee was talking about is called "They've Got to Have Us." And looking at the Netflix webpage now, mm-hmm. so listeners, uh, you can uh, you can go check that out on Netflix. I want to play another cut of the author, Janine Cummins, of American Dirt. And I want to play this in part to, to, to give her more of a chance to talk about why she did the work that she did and and how she felt about it. We did extend an invitation for her to come on the show, and she was not uh, able to do that. But let's listen to her talk about the inequity that exists in the publishing industry. So the surprising thing that probably shouldn't have been surprising was that this became very much more a dialogue about the inequities in the publishing industry rather than a story about the book itself. I think there is a tremendous amount of earned frustration among communities of color when it comes to the publishing industry. And, you know, it's not just a very white industry. It's also a tremendously affluent white industry. So I worked at Penguin Books for 10 years. And while most of my colleagues didn't rely on their paychecks to pay the rent, I had to bartend at the weekends because there was no way to earn a living on that paycheck. So, I mean, there she she really reflects some of the deeper issues that are going on in the publishing industry. And I think uh, that, that that goes a long way to, I think, uh, understanding where she's coming from in defense of her in defense of her work. The, the whole issue of money and being able to make money. I mean, we had a caller who was criticizing profiting off of this kind of work. But the truth is. No one gets into writing to get rich. I mean, it's not about profit so much as it is survival, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that you you need to make money to be able to do to do the work. Um, uh, Satori, I'll give you the last word on this subject before we have to break. Well, I I think that this is an issue that, as she pointed out, as I said earlier, goes deeper than just being a novelist and writing a story. It's a fight over the narrative. Because he who can tell the story or she who can tell the story rules the world, and we see that in our politics now. It isn't about the truth. It's about who can win the day on the story. And so um, whoever has that money, whoever has that microphone, whoever has, and that we know that that is a white um, um, system, and it filters down and affects and impacts every aspect, publishing, education it's across the board so we have to really deal with what we have what we're not dealing with and that's racism yeah in this country structural inequality structural inequality yeah. or else we're going to be talking about the symptoms all day long yeah you know? 
Okay, Satori Shakur, host of WDET's Twisted Storytellers podcast, the city's chief storyteller, as I call her. <laughs> and congratulations to Eric, <laughs> to Eric Thomas. Thomas, who now yes, has that official he's the, title, he's right? the official chief storyteller <laughs> right. for Detroit. Yes, yes, we are going to catch up with him soon, too. <laughs> All right, great to have you here. Yes, thank you, Stephen. Up, up next, a look at a new book that explores a forgotten community for African-American Michiganders. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.